Welcome to the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. For those of you who don't know, GTFO means get the F out. In this podcast, we will be discussing how to get the F out. How to get the F out of a bad situation, predicament, or something you want to flat change. I'll be interviewing individuals who have had to GTFO. Expect to hear stories of those who experience situations of despair, pain, and fear. And the only way to escape it was to GTFO. Through this podcast, I want to give you, the listeners, the power and courage to make life changes should you need to GTFO. One of my biggest fears is going down in a plane crash. I used to fly every week for my corporate job, and although you would think that you would get used to it, I never did. I was always that scary cat that would grab the arm of the passenger next to me every time it hit a pocket of air or flew through a storm. My heart would pound, my palms would get sweaty, and my anxiety would just soar. That sense of doom and not being able to GTFO made me feel helpless. Well, today, we're going to talk to someone who has survived a plane crash. On January 15th, 2009, Mark Hood was a passenger on U.S. Airways flight 1549, the infamous flight known as the Miracle on the Hudson on which both engines were disabled because of a bird strike. Captain Sullenberger was able to commandeer the plane to a water landing, saving all 155 passengers. Today, Mark is going to tell us his personal story of living through this unimaginable event and how it still impacts him today, as he was able to GTFO of the plane crash. Here's some background on Mark. He lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, He is a global sales consultant with Sales Performance International. He has two kids and a beautiful wife. Sounds great, right? Well, Mark is kind of a badass. Mark graduated from the Citadel, served two combat tours in Marine Corps, which was Operation Sharp Edge in Liberia in 1990 and Desert Storm in 1991. After 9-11, he returned to the Marine Reserves as a major and trained reservist in infantry tactics and combat operations. See, I told you he was a badass. I believe that his experience in life is what led to his bravery and instincts on Flight 1549. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. Hey, Holly, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm outstanding. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you because I want to talk about how we know each other Um, because I met you, what, six years ago in in Charlotte for work, something completely unrelated. Absolutely. It was, I believe, yeah, six years ago for uh, a a sales training session. Yeah. Yeah. And you you were like so smart and sharp and such a good leader in that training session. And then we stayed connected on all the social media sites, LinkedIn, Facebook, and I had no idea that you were on this flight until I saw um, something pop up um, on your timeline about an anniversary, about the anniversary of this flight. I was like, holy shit, Mark says he's on that flight. That's crazy. How can I know you for six years and not know you were on that flight? Well, it's not something that I lead with. Um, Normally, I'm happy to talk to people about it, but uh, I rarely lead with it. Well, I think that's also what makes it kind of special, you know, that it's something that happened to you. You know what I mean? It's not your identity, but it's what happened to you. 
Um, and I have so many questions for you today. But before we get into that, would you give us some background on yourself? Sure, um, Holly. You did a great job um, covering the high points when you um, introduced me, and I appreciated those kind words, by the way. Um, well, but I serve that. in the life sciences division of Richardson Sales and um, I focus there on um, life sciences companies and, and helping individuals um, internalize sales processes. And I came to this endeavor in my life after managing um, three startups, one rehab in life sciences. And then I was the VP of sales for a Japanese medical device firm for about 10 years and an Israeli startup firm uh, for three years. And so I was very blessed with a good bit of success. Um, as you said earlier, studied at Citadel um, and was able to serve in the Marines and uh, then transitioned into the world of, of selling in life sciences. Wow. Wow. Two opposite things, too. You're like military, then corporate America. But, you know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Enough to keep you very busy. Um. Well, would you walk us through that day, January 15th, 2009, um, and just kind of tell us, give us some color to the routine of the flight, because every flight has a routine, you get your passengers on, everyone kind of knows what to expect, and then how things changed. Yeah, happy to, um, Holly. So my office at the time was in Montvale, New Jersey. So I lived in Charlotte and commuted back and forth to New Jersey, and so that day, it was just like any other day. I came out of the office and got in, in my town car that was driving me to LaGuardia. Um, and I noticed that it was snowing pretty heavily uh, because it was quite, quite cold. Um, got out of LaGuardia, um, uh, breezed through security. Everything was, was pretty good. Came to, um, to the flight, boarded the flight. And I really hadn't paid a whole lot of attention to my ticket and my seat number. And I normally sit on the aisle. And I was up to first class because, as you mentioned before, you were on a, a plane pretty much every week when you were in your corporate job as I. And so based on the number of miles, I was upgraded to first class. And lo and behold, I went to take my seat on the aisle and there was a young lady sitting in the seat. Um, and so I quickly looked at my ticket and realized my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Had to take the window seat. That, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I passed my briefcase over to her and she kind of grumbled and she she put it on on my seat for me and then stowed my baggage, took my seat. Um, and then as we it, this was a Thursday. And again, I wanted to get home and watch the dog whisper with the family. Um, so I was kind of just minding my own business. And the young lady and I started to chat and uh, became quite obvious that we were on the, the opposite sides of everything from sports. Um, I tried to talk about sports. She didn't like sports uh, <laughs> and uh, politics. Uh, she brought up politics. We were obviously on the opposite sides there. And uh, so I realized it was going to be an awfully long flight or so I thought uh, based on. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, did you put your earbuds in? <laughs> you just put your really? earbuds in. I'm just kidding. Really? So as, as we, we pushed away from the tarmac, or I'm sorry, was pushed away from um, the terminal uh, in line to take off, 
um, the young lady looks across me and she goes, wow, that's quite a line to get out. I don't think we'll get out of here on time. And I said, I'll bet you five bucks we do. And she shook my hand. And then we settled back, got in line. And sure enough, we took off at, um, at 329. And as we were ascending, I mean, it was a, it was a lovely winter day. Uh, the snow cleared and um, we were ascending and everything was, was going as planned. And then I guess probably 45 seconds, maybe a minute, 15 into the, the takeoff, um, the plane, it just felt like someone had hit the engine um, with a baseball bat. And there was a massive just bam. And so I looked out my window and I could see the the left engine on fire. Um, and you could hear the the sounds of what sounded like tennis shoes in a um, in a dryer. And actually what had happened and you referenced it earlier was uh, the plane had flown into a flock of geese. And uh, the geese had been sucked in not only to the engine on the left, but also the engine on the right. And um, so I thought to myself, well, um, this looks not so good, but surely we'll turn around um, and, and fly back. And the young lady beside me goes, wow, what's up? I said, well, I think we'll, we'll probably have to turn around and, and land back at LaGuardia. Now, did the other passengers seem rattled? Um, did they seem rattled? Were they looking at each other like, well, that's kind of weird, kind of a strange occurrence just now? Or was everybody trying to be cool? Because that kind of happens, too. Yeah, good, good, great question. Most everybody was was looking around, kind of perplexed about what had happened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, because nothing okay. came from the from the cockpit either. And so everybody was pretty calm, and then there was complete silence, and both engines quit. And that's when people started to begin to get quite concerned, um, myself included, and. Um, I pretty much realized at that point that we weren't going to go back to LaGuardia and that we had no thrust and we would be fortunate if we were able to stay in the air. Um, so I reached over and I, I held the hand of the young lady sitting next to me and I said, we're going to crash. Uh, oh, this freaks me out. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. And I mean, there was, and again, you know, you, you spoke to my military service and the thing that was always unique about that, Holly, was if somebody was doing something to me, I could always do something back. I could either return fire or call artillery or something like that. But in this instance, there's nothing you can do. Nothing. Just strap in and hold on to the ride. So, you know, the only thing I could do was say my prayers. So I prayed and, um, I, you know, said my last prayer, what I thought was my last prayer on earth and uh, was ready to stand you know, face to face with God when when we finished crashing. My only concern was where we were going to crash. Uh, and so as we continued to glide, uh, again, silence on the plane, people started to get very concerned. And, and we we came over the George Washington Bridge, which links New Jersey and, and, and Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And we cl- of about 600 feet and uh, then we started to descend over the Hudson River and uh, it became quite obvious what um, what the captain was going to do and as we sank lower and lower towards the river he finally came on and said uh, brace for impact and the flight attendants up front were saying brace 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 and I could hear 
and I had been able to hear for probably the last minute and a half, the computerized voice coming from the cockpit saying, pull up, pull up, pull up. And the alarm's going off in the cockpit because I'm oh so my close God. Yeah, to, to the cockpit. So uh, we sank lower and lower. And um, eventually, um, most everybody moved into the tuck position. Um, and I didn't go into the tuck position. I was thinking, you know, if I learned in the military that once you once you get through a, a combat environment, you can still lose people um, if you don't keep your head and, and ensure that you're aware of the situation around you. So I was looking out the window to see if we crashed, if we were going to hit something, um, right. if we crashed, you know, where where we were going to wind up. And so about that time we hit the river, um, bounced once mm-hmm. and initially hit the river that tore the left engine off, I believe bounced once. And the next time we hit, it started to peel the uh, bottom of the plane off. And uh, then we came to rest and everybody was in the tuck position, completely silent. There wasn't a peep in the whole plane. And then all of a sudden mass mayhem breaks out and people start the aisle and they're going out um, each door uh, in the front and unbeknownst to me, because I couldn't see behind us, people were going out on the wings. And the, water's, the lady, coming in, water's coming in, the cold water's coming in at the same time. Is that correct? That's correct. The water's coming in at the rear of the plane, right. um, starting to flood quite quickly. Um, the young lady beside me still in the tuck position. So I, I touched, I reached over and tapped her on the back and I said, um, come on. And she popped up, turned to me and she said, is this heaven? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, it's in heaven and I'm no angel. Come on, we got to go. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and, and it was a quite shocking landing. A gentleman in, in front of me um, broke his sternum. Uh, the young lady beside me was black and blue from her, her waist down and mm-hmm. um, behind me dislocated her knee. So there was a lot of the, the impact while I didn't feel it as severe as a lot of folks did. Um, there were some people who were, were beat up and battered. So uh, we got up, got her, the young lady into the aisle. We moved forward and went out the left uh, front door mm-hmm. and we moved into what normally is considered a rescue slide uh, that um, inflates and people can slide out of the plane. Well, at that time it had inflated and was acting as um, a life raft on the river. Um, and there were a number of people in the raft already. And, um, uh, the young lady sitting beside me who I disagreed with on everything hesitated at the door. So I very professionally put both hands into her shoulders and helped push her into the raft. <laughs> you're like, you're going, you're going. Yeah. Yep. yeah so that we could, we could get out. Um, got into the raft. And the first thing I noticed was how cold the raft was. It had water in it. Um, and again, it was snowing again. And, um, and the air temperature was probably upper 20s, low 30s. Um, and then I began to see most everyone in, in the, the life raft was um, either trying to huddle for, for warmth or um, in a state of shock. Um, and again, I, you know, based on my earlier experiences in life, um, I was able to, to move through the actual shock of the event 
and start to try to help make our, our position more tenable. Do you um, think that was part of your military training? Do you think that you knew yes, how to correct. kind of like get your mindset the way you needed it to be in that situation? Right. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I was, I was just sh- as much, just as shocked as anyone else, but right. I was able to bury it. Um, and then I started to move along the edges of the raft and I noticed that there were people in the water and I thought to myself, well, it certainly is, is, you know, they're not going to live very long in that water. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to pull, pull people out. One young lady swam over to the raft and her lips were blue. Her name was Pam. And she looked up and she looked at me and she said, is, she was shivering. She said, is there any room in the raft? And oh. I re- grabbed her by the arm. I said, by God, we'll make room for you. Come on. So I pulled her into the raft and uh, sat her next to some people who were, were getting her warm and then grabbed a couple of other gentlemen and got them into the raft. And then I moved to the end of the raft and there's a guy who's probably, I don't know, 70 yards away from the raft and he's got an overcoat on and he's swimming away from the raft. <laughs> I, said, hmm. I said, Hey, what, what are you doing? And I'm swimming to Manhattan. <laughs> I said, well, to make it. He said, what do you mean I'm not going to make it? I said, it's too far and too cold. He goes, you think so? I said, yeah. I said, come on, swim over to me. So he turned around and swam to the raft and I reached down, um, pulled him into the raft and uh, he was a quite a big fella. Um, and by then, you know, we, we were able to put, put people close to one another and get them warm. And um, I turned around and, and looked behind me and there's Captain Sullenberger and the flight attendants. They'd come out of the plane. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and uh, about 15 seconds later, the, the, the Harbor ferries started showing up and plucking people from the wings and the back of the plane. So again, you know, it, it sounds like at that point, everything is, is, is hunky dory and good to go. But again, Holly, we discussed this before in America, a lot of folks um, aren't used to shock like that. Yeah. A, B, the cold weather can be debilitating, uh, but C, most folks in America don't stay fit enough um, to survive a, a catastrophic accident like that. Right. So they're not ready. You know, a very, very tumultuous opportunity. To know how are we going to get people from the life raft up to a 12 foot deck that was above uh, the river? And so we did it by, um, you know, taking those of us who were better insulated <laughs> than others. You will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, the, everyone on the raft acted together and helped pull, push the uh, people up into the, onto the ferry. And uh, we were able to um, take those that were greatest at risk. Um, the individuals, the, the young lady I spoke to who had been in the water, she went up and out first and, uh, then we got everybody out of the raft and uh, I looked around. It was myself and Captain Sullenberger and Jeff Skiles were the last three guys on the life raft. And um, one of the harbor ferries came back over and I looked at Captain Sullenberger since he was older than I was. I said, uh, sir, would you like to leave the raft before me? He goes, I'll be the last one out of this raft. I love it. I love that. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. Um, so we made it into the 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 harbor ferry now i failed to mention that when we were in the middle of um of getting people um secured on the raft i 
my hands were so cold. I couldn't dial my cell phone. I had my cell phone in my pocket. And uh, so I realized my wife would be finding out about this. So I, I hit my cell phone and, and dialed number last dialed. And it went to one of my salesmen down in Louisiana who called my wife and told her um, what had happened. And um, she turned the television on. She started to say her prayers. And then I was able to finally get her number and I was dialing her number from the raft. And about that time, one of the ferries drifted into the raft and started to crush the raft and collapse it and started to dump people into the water. Oh my gosh. See, I didn't know that part until you had told me like that yeah. was all news. Yes. Yeah. I apologize. Go ahead. Small detail. Okay. Small detail there. Yeah. That's okay. So, so I said, I said, honey, I got to go. I love you. Uh, and she said, I love you too. And you know, neither one of us knew if that'd be the last time we talked to, to each other. Um, but fortunately, I was able to to get back on the telephone once I got up on the ferry and made my way back to uh, made my way back to the the ferry terminal and uh, stood over a heating vent and uh, dried out my socks and my shoes and my pants. That's just, <laughs> it's like you went to automatic mode. You're like, well, I got to dry off now. I just came out of a plane that crashed. Time to dry off. I mean. Well, I was cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You had to be freezing. Yeah. It was quite cold. Um, I have a question for you. And that is, what drove you to help other people that day instead of panicking? Because you really helped facilitate the exit and GTFOing. Of everybody else first, what was it about you that went? I got to take care of these people. Well, um, a lot of, and that's a great question. A lot of, and I've, I've ruminated over this for for many years. I would rather have drowned in that river mm -hmm. and given my life than to have done anything that would have dishonored my faith, my family, um, the Marine Corps, or the Citadel. And I think as I, as I think of this over time, there are many things in life that are more important than the life we're given. And often it's, we overlook this in our fast paced world. It's, it's how you behave and it's how you put yourself second or mm -hmm. third as a servant leader. Mm -hmm. And if you can learn that skill to be a servant leader and put yourself um, behind others, then you can make a big difference in everything you do. It's a beautiful message. It's true. It's very, very true. And people lose sight of that. And so I'm glad that you said that. And that's well, very you. much who you are. It's very much who well, you are. Thank you, Holly. It is easy to lose sight of that. You know, on that day, um, people behaved quite well. Um, people cooperated. There was very little panic. Um, People were orderly, and uh, that's really kind of why it hit the news pretty quickly. And then, uh, you know, it was overtaken by other things because most of our, our news want to see people behaving poorly. That's what sells news. That's what sells right. right. And you guys did so well getting out because you behaved well and took care of each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. Okay. Um, you dry your socks, you dry everything that's freezing cold. And then what do you do? What do you do? Do you spend the night in 
New York, what does Mark do after this type of experience? Well, Holly, that's a great question. Since <laughs> you know, I was torn because what I wanted to do was go find a hotel room and turn the heat on and just rest. Um, but it's interesting because my wife, when I finally got her on the telephone, she's go, she goes, oh, my gosh, our daughter is out in the car. And she was a teenager, an early driver. And she said, I don't want her to hear this on the radio. And she said, and I can't lie to her. She calls me. So um, we hung up and my daughter called my wife and my wife said, call your dad. And so my daughter called me and she goes, daddy, daddy, daddy. Oh, are you in a plane crash? I said, yeah. She said, oh, daddy. I said, honey, are you driving? She said, I just pulled in the driveway. I said, well, turn the car off. I said, I'm fine. I'm going to be fine. Everything's good. And she said, well, when will I see you again? Well, I said, well, I'll come home tonight. I'll find a way to get home. And she's crying. And she said, oh, daddy, daddy, I'm so sorry. I said, oh, I'm fine. And then she hung up and my son called me and goes, daddy. I said, yes. Yeah. He said, mama told me you were in a plane crash today. I said, that's, that's in fact true, son. Said, you okay? I said, I am okay. He said, all right, well, I love you. I got to go. I said, well, I love you too, son. Oh my goodness. But those, those two conversations, not only do they demonstrate, you know, the difference often in, in, in boys and girls and how they approach things. Right. Right. More importantly, it let me know that probably the best thing for me to do was to get out of that terminal and, and get home. And so, um, I, the play, the, the, the ferry terminal was a madhouse between the Red Cross folks that were there and the media and, um, you know, people being medevac to hospitals and, and that type of thing. And so I walked out the front door and uh, got in a car and drove over to um, LaGuardia. And on my way over there, I called U.S. Airways and they got me on the last flight out that night. And I flew home, flew home at 10, 15. So I got home about a little after midnight. It just amazes me that you set foot on a plane again that day. You did it like no big deal. I got to get home to my family. <laughs> well, I, I don't know that I would have said it was no big deal. I certainly uh, had some trepidatious thoughts, but sure. uh, if, if it came down to it, if it was my time, I can't, you know, same here. I can't control my time when it's my time to go. It's my right. time. To go. But if that was it, that was it. Right. Right. Well, I'm sure your family was thrilled to have you home that night. I mean, they were probably just glad to have you safe, period. So it, it was a very heartwarming reunion, I can assure you. I, God, I can only imagine. <laughs> um, how have you recovered from this experience? And we're 11 years out now mm -hmm. um, since the plane crash. How, how have you recovered from this? Well, there was. <sighs> I was very blessed in that I had um, I had a great group of folks around me, not only a faith-based community who I could speak with and, and talk about this, but also my family and friends. Yeah. Um, at the time, it happened. And um, so I was able to talk through a lot of it to all of them. And of course, I spoke to my wife about it regularly. Uh, you know, and I think I, I referenced this to you earlier when we when we spoke, but Post the crash, I was only sleeping about four hours a night, which was which is normal after 
these types of, of things. But I discovered that I had had become part of a much larger family um, that I had no idea about until um, I started traveling again for business. And in the airports, I would see people who looked familiar. And about a week after the, the plane crash, I was flying to New York and saw this young lady walking through the airport and I caught her eye and I recognized her. And again, I immediately got dizzy and the it was like the movie Vertigo. Everything around me seemed to be moving and I had to sit down in a chair. Um, and that was Pam. The young lady that I saw in the airport was Pam, the young lady I pulled in to the raft. Oh, my goodness. And that just brought all the memories from that day right back to the forefront. Um, and. So it was a blessing to talk to her and to speak with her. But then I met um, Denise, the young lady who was sitting next to me. Uh, I was able to fly with her. And then I was able to, to meet uh, two other people that I'd pulled into the raft, one of which, um, again, each time I saw them, it was like a vertigo moment because everything came rushing back. And um, it was just that became a family extension of mine of individuals that I could speak to mm-hmm. talk about this, ruminate with what happened, you know, go over the details. And then again, we get together as a, uh, a family, the, the folks on the plane um, every year we have a celebrate life um, get together. Sometimes they're really, really big. Sometimes they're small, um, but the celebrate life um, celebrations, <laughs> Oftentimes, you know, I wouldn't think that there was much to them, but I began to meet and see people who I had touched on the flight. People would come up to me and say, hey, you're Mark Hood. You pulled me out of the water. And I wouldn't even remember it until they said that. But I had eventually I had to get to a point where my wife stood beside me because my whole world would rock just like that first time. And I'd have a vertigo moment and have to hold on to my wife uh, to keep from falling over. Wow. Um, but so I would say that that was a blessing having that group of extended friends and peers. And Denise, the lady who sat next to him, is one of my families and my dear friends now. And uh, she comes every Christmas and Thanksgiving to our home. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, well, that sounds like a book. Vertigo moments right there, Mark. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand what that feels like, but it's just the, the emotional impact those moments have on you kind of take over you physically. I can understand having to sit down and be like, whoo, gosh, mm-hmm. big stuff. Yeah. Um, all of this said, plane crash, your bravery, getting back to life, vertigo moments. How has this changed your life trajectory? Well, I don't, I used to, I used to always say nothing had changed that, that I was the same as I was before it happened. And, um, I was no different, but I I think that was probably an attempt on my part to keep everything buried and keep the box locked when I think about it. But in truth, um, every time I say goodbye 
to my family, um, mm-hmm. to, my, to my kids, um, to my friends, I always say it and and mean it like it might be the last time I ever wow. because, you know, none of us really know uh, the time of our demise. The only thing we all have in common, each and every one of us, everyone who's listening to the podcast, everyone that I meet, know every family member of mine is that one day um, we will all all pass away. I mean, it's just going to happen. And so now I think the reality of that day and what took place is that goodbyes are more meaningful um, and more heartfelt and celebrations of, of seeing friends and family. Uh, they are just very, very special. And I try not to let them ever be uh, kind of run of the mill. Um, it's right. community and friendship and, and being together that's celebrated. And that's one of the greatest things in life, I think. Right. It's true. It has more meaning. It all needs to have more meaning. It does. You know, there's two ways you can look at this, this whole experience. You could, you can, you could drive yourself crazy asking why it happened, you know, and, and is it going to happen again? And with, with a finite mind, I mean, you're never going to be able to explain, you know, why it happened the way it did because right. I've spoken in public about this and afterwards people have, have come to me and said, you know, I had a daughter who was killed in a plane crash. You know, what do you think was different? Mm. And you know, that's a very sobering question. And, you know, the answer is I can only speak to my, my experience. Uh, right. And, and so all of us, you, you know, have build that book of life uh, made up of our experiences. And I think, um, in the the fast paced society we live we live in, we often overlook that sense of communication, community, and and friendship, and that's just to be cherished. Right, I so agree with you. I so so agree with you, and I I love your messaging on that. I think it's wonderful, and it's great for our listeners to hear because coming out of this out of this experience, you've 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 been very positive and aware of relationships and how you treat other people. And I love that. So, mm-hmm. um, Mark, how can people get in touch with you? You just mentioned you, you do speak to groups. How can people get in touch with you? If they'd mm-hmm. like to talk to you, hear from you, put you in front of a crowd, what's the best way to, to reach you? Yeah. The best way to reach me, Holly, is to reach out on the email to, uh, and my email address is M hood h o o d at s p i sales.com okay okay excellent excellent well i do hope that uh, people reach out to you and i'm sure others will want to hear more about your story and um mark i want to thank you for joining me today this was a really meaningful chat and we and i you and i talked last week and i got chills the first time and I got chills the second time. Like it doesn't change it. Like you walk, you walk me through step by step and it's just as emotional each time. So thank you for sharing your GTFO story with us. Well, thank you, Holly. I really appreciated our time together. And uh, I hope all your listeners can take a positive message from this and move forward. Right. I do too. And that's a wrap. I'm looking forward to our next GTFO podcast. Thanks. 
Thank you for joining me today on the GTFO podcast. This is Holly Kaplan. To connect with me for confidence coaching or speaking engagements, please connect with me at hollykaplan.com or find me on Instagram at gtfo underscore podcast. Thanks. Thanks.